0: everyone. Hope you've had a great week. Thanks for tuning into our podcast and hope it encourages you, inspires you as you go about your week. Here's today's message. Uh, I don't know that it's the first time, Pastor Noah, you've been up here the first time, but it is the first time you've been up here when I've been here. Has he been up here when anyone else has been here? This is Pastor Noah and he's a legend. Well done. Thanks. Great to have you, great to have you on the team there, Noah, and then to Dan and Nicole and Hansley and Bonnie, don't forget Bonnie over there, she's in the the cage, come on out Bonnie, you can come out of the cage now, (laughs) she's in freedom. (laughs) Good to see you guys, well, as you know, or as you think you probably know, I'm the Chaplain at Richmond Football Club, and it was a few years ago, um, and it was pre-season training. And what, if you if you follow football at all, you know that usually there's pre-season training, and then not too long before the start of the season, you have some pretty serious what we call intra club practice matches and that's where like so we're not playing another club we're all playing against each other and they split the teams it's an intra-club practice match this day I'm there for training and I'm, I'm just standing around the way that I normally would um, and then without warning the senior coach uh, comes walking towards me and in one sort of movement he takes his, his own he takes his whistle off his head. And he's got an orange fluoro vest in his hands and he throws them both to me. He says, hey, Jeff, you can be our boundary umpire. And um, and so that's like you, you, so if you're not football like boundary umpire, it's not that hard of a job. I used to do it when I was you know played football for the Denali Football Club in Central Victoria, and I used to you know play football in the mornings, then I'd be the boundary umpire in the afternoon. It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? You know, and so but I, I, I sort of said to him, the coach, I said, well, you like you're like an, how do you you know? And he said, and he just demonstrated, he just and you know because you see the umpires on TV, they throw they throw the ball in like that. Um, now if you think this is simple by the way do, who knows does anyone here know how far they're supposed to throw the ball in from the boundary line how far it's supposed to land and you I know no? it's a long way it's 18 meters right now that's a big throw sounds easy but it's a big throw anyway so I used to just throw it like that well the coach just said to me just just throw it like that we won you know and he said that's easy enough and I thought oh how hard can it be you know so off we went the game started, and 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 it was like they take it pretty seriously too. And there's a couple of umpires again. If you follow football, umpires Matt Stevic and Brett Rosenberry. Now, I, like my personal opinion, they're the two best umpires in the league. All right, and they were there because they they're, they're they're doing their preseason as well. You know, so they're practicing, so they're going to umpire the game. And so we get into the game, and it's it's only just a few just a few seconds in, and the ball goes out of bounds right near me. You know, so I blow the whistle. <laughs> Grab the ball and and like I I'm just as sure as can be of myself you know I just stand there and I go to throw it in and like the 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 guys that are in the ruck the guys that I'm supposed to be throwing it should probably land about at the back of the church you know um, and it needs to go nice and high in the air as well that's a big big throw Uh, like I can't do that I thought I could but I can't so I just throw thinking it's going to go straight to them no problems can you guess what happened? <laughs> <laughs> Out of bounds. <laughs> so there, let's just, everyone just take a look at that exit sign up there, right? So say so, so I'm aiming for the exit sign. Do you know, want to know where the ball went? It landed at about Dave Papov over there. <laughs> so like there's all these league footballers and Jeff Shepherd. whoa, and it goes over there. And so and I, and so I yell out, because they're all pretty serious about it, and I yell out, sorry boys, you know, like this. And, and I thought that they would stop, and the umpire would blow the whistle and we'd start again, but they didn't stop, like they just kept playing, you know. And so then, anyway, so on we went. Guys, this became the most stressful experience of my life. And pretty soon, the ball would be coming along, and I'd be there, and, and I was literally... I was literally praying and saying, Jesus, please don't let it go out. You know. And then there was, a, there was a couple of times when someone the ball would be right near the boundary line and one of the players would pick it up and, 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 and sort of stop it from going out and kick it. I was like, thank you, Jesus. Like, because it was so stressful. Now, I did get better at it, but I still didn't get good enough, you know. And uh, there was a time then one of the more senior players, I don't like to use names, but one of the more senior players, you know, household name, he wasn't playing that day because he was injured. He was just there sort of running around helping with a bit of coaching stuff. And the ball went out at one stage, and this guy calls me Shep. He goes, Shep, yeah, give it to me, you know. (laughs) Like, in other words, we all know you can't throw it in. So I thought that was all done. Off I go. felt pretty... You know when you just feel out of it? You felt out of it before? You felt like I'm a misfit here. Anyway, it's, it's one week later and I go back to the club and I walk in the front door and I see Simon. Simon's the guy that's in charge of all the IT at the club. Like he's IT, computers. Hey, Jeff, how, I heard you run the boundary last week. <laughs> And you know what, then, as I went in the club, every single person I encountered, oh, hey, hey, hey you ran the boundary last week. You know." And so, like, this was obviously, you know, everyone knew that Jeff had rung the boundary and hadn't done such a good job of it. And then, do you know what happened then? We get down for the game and I'm standing there and I'm trying to keep right out of the way because I'm like, and there's another intra-club today. You guessed what happened, didn't you? The coach came to me again. And told me he wanted me to do it again. I now we laugh, we laugh, you know. But sometimes you just have those experiences, and you just and I know you guys can laugh at it. My family laughs at it, you know. And I tell them stories, and but like I just felt like a I felt like a fool, and I still when I still when I think back, I still do. I can absolutely feel like I just didn't fit, just didn't fit in. You know the feeling? Like, maybe not to run the boundary, but when you just don't, you just don't fit. And more so, do you know the feeling of you just don't fit yeah you know that feeling don't you I bet you do everyone knows that feeling but do you know the feeling of I just don't fit and the reason I don't fit is because I'm churchy it's because I'm trying to follow Jesus that's why I don't fit you know that feeling Have you ever wondered? I oh don't be afraid to admit it, but have you ever wondered, is God really here? Like, if I don't fit because I'm trying to follow Jesus, like, hey, have you ever wondered, is this, is this the real deal? Like, is this really, is it really worth it? Because Sometimes you sort of think, well, I wonder if God I wonder if God took his hand off and it doesn't really matter?" Because you see, by my observation, the world often seems to be operating, seems to be operating as if God's not there. Christians are persecuted. You find stories every week about Christians in our world, in modern-day world who lose their lives because they're following Jesus. Christians are persecuted. Godlessness. It doesn't just grow, but it, like, it flourishes, doesn't it? And meanwhile, corruption and crime, they grow. They expand while at the same time, morals decline. The successful, you know, the, the, the rich and famous, our celebrities, don't they? That they, they seem to thrive. Is God really here? Is Jesus really coming back? Yeah, you want to know? Like, like the ancient, this guy's name's Asaph, the ancient Asaph. He lamented, this is in your Bible, in the Psalms, Psalm 73. He said, I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. Did you ever do that? They seem to live such a painless life. He said, their bodies, they're so healthy and strong. They aren't troubled like other people or plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace and their clothing, it's woven of cruelty. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. That's what he said. How, how come it seems to work so well for the people who haven't got God? That's what he's saying. And he wanted to know that too because he asked these questions. He said, Does God even realise what's going on? They ask. Is the Most High even aware of what is happening? And when you've, when you've tried so hard to obey, to follow Jesus, was it for nothing that I kept my heart pure and kept myself from doing wrong? all i get is trouble all day long every morning brings me pain try to do the right thing just brings me pain have you ever wondered if it's all worth it and and by any stretch of the imagination like it might be worth it but did you want to get like if it was worth it did you want to get a, get some legs on it you know get a bit of get some understanding here like that question we asked last week, if the answer somehow is that, well, you know, it, even if it's a bit of a pie in the sky thing, even if you don't understand it fully, but if the answer somehow is, well, Jesus is coming back one day. Well, wouldn't we want to, like I would, like I, 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 don't wanna, I, I don't want a pie in the sky answer. I want to know, well, what does that mean now? How do I live now? How do I wait? What do I do while I wait? Well that, that dilemma my friend, that's why the Apostle Paul wrote his second letter to the young Christians, the young Jesus followers at Thessalonica. And he wrote it, it's a bit unusual you know that he wrote this one within months of writing the first one. Nothing wrong with doing that but it's just a bit Unusual; It didn't often happen like such a real short gap between letters. And here, if you look up here on the, on the map, you can see Thessalonica. And so now it's 51, 52 AD, and you can see that Paul is down at Corinth, which is down towards the bottom of the map, and he's writing the letter to the church up at Thessalonica in Greek Macedonia. And see, so he'd written the first letter, And somehow, we can only speculate as to how this might have happened. He'd found out that the people of this young Thessalonian church were a little confused after they'd read his first letter. Little confused. Confused, why? Because they're living in Thessalonica. They're living in this vibrant, pulsating city. It's a cultural melting pot and it's a dynamic, fast-paced center of business and trade. It's got a proliferation of all sorts of religious and philosophical influence. So, how come it's not obvious? How, how come it's not obvious they're wondering where's Jesus? I mean, Paul said in that letter that Jesus is coming back. Where is he? What's happening? Like is he gonna come back? And more so, hey, hey, what do we do? Here we are, we're in Thessalonica. What do we do in the meantime? And last week we saw Paul's opening lines in the letter just reminding these young Jesus followers that that while they wait for Jesus, and that's Sunday mornings here at Mill Park for the next several weeks, while we wait for Jesus. He reminded them that while they wait for Jesus, he said they're God's children, which means that they get his grace and His peace. No matter what's happening, whatever happens while they wait, however long it is, however bad it gets, however confusing it is, as God's children, they get given his grace and his peace while they're waiting. And now, look here, when you're asking, like Asaph did, does God realise what's going on? Is it worth it? Am I paying the price of following him for nothing? And when you're asking, where's it all going to end? Like you're one of those, now I'm not... One of these, by the way, let me make that just really clear. But, but you're one of those who are alarmed at the Muslim influence in our country, which God doesn't seem to be curbing. And you're alarmed at that. You're incensed at it. Or maybe you just can't see international borders opening again. Or if they do, it's a long way off. What's your thing? You consider, you look, you see on TV the rich and the famous. And you think they buy their way to health and happiness. And everyone idolises them. Or maybe you're just not fitting in. Because, I mean, let's, let's, let's face it, not many of those around you are following Jesus. And it's downright hard. Well, if you read the next little bit of Paul's letter, you're going to learn something about, some things about these young Thessalonians. And, and you know what? Remember, they're trying to follow Jesus too. And they're asking some of the same questions that you and I are asking. Look at this. In verse 3, Dear brothers and sisters, we can't help but thank God for you because your faith is flourishing and your love for one another is growing. We proudly tell God's other churches about your endurance and faithfulness in all the persecutions and hardships you are suffering. These Thessalonian Jesus followers, friends, you know what's happening for them? They're growing. They're growing. This is so good. He said, you know, you're growing so much and it's so obvious and it's so good that it's, it's, it's like we've got no choice. Me and my co-workers here in Corinth, it's like, like we can't stop ourselves talking about you. We can't stop ourselves giving thanks to God for you. Your faith is flourishing, and that, that your faith is flourishing, that's especially borne out by the fact that you don't just love each other, but you love each other more and more and more every day. And he says that he proudly tells God's other churches about them. You know what? That's actually not usual. The apostles, you read, you read the, 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 the pastoral epistles or the letters in the Bible, it's not so normal for the apostles to tell other churches about the churches, for Paul, to tell other people about the churches that he planted, that he started. Well, he can't help it with this one. Bit, bit like me, maybe. Oh, like, seriously, that is just how I feel about this place. I, I can't help but give thanks because, and I don't even know everything that is happening here. But some of the things I know, and it's like, that's got, that's got nothing to do with me. <laughs> it's got nothing, zero to do with me. Look how good that is. And I, I too, I, I too proudly tell other pastors and other churches about this place. You know, at the moment, and and I know that that Jim won't be watching us here today, but we'll tell him that we talked about him in church because Jim Ingalls, our, our beautiful friend who lives just across the road there, he's been widowed for many years since before I came to the church. And Jim's family situation is such that um, he's not in contact with a lot of his family. And Jim's in palliative care, the northern hospital at the moment. Um, do, you, do you know that... There's a, and it can't be a big group because we're not allowed to have a big group. He's only allowed to have six people on his visiting list at the moment. But do you know that there is a group here from this church and I, I did joke with Yvonne earlier, like I'm the only male in the group, because Jim, Jim likes being with the ladies. <laughs> he does, doesn't he, Sonia? Like, <laughs> Sonia's on the list. Um, Jim likes to be with the ladies, and Jim likes his, likes his desserts and cakes, too, doesn't he, you know? Um, so I'm the only male on the list, but do you know that there's a small group of people there And this one's got nothing to do with me either. And those people, as Jim experiences what a, you know, his final days on earth, that man is loved to death. Absolutely loved to death. when you see something like that happening in a church, and that's but one story that I could tell you. When you're here last night, as Kathy said, and, and I said to Luke Sexton afterwards, Luke's you know a, a key part of organising last night, and I said, you know what Luke, you could, you could take what we showed here today, you could put that on commercial TV and it wouldn't look out of place. And is that because we're good or we're cool or because I'm good and I'm cool? No, 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 and no. Again, it's because God's good and God's cool and He's doing the work through this place. You know what? I can understand why Paul would say we can't help but give thanks to God for you guys because you're growing. And in particular, these young followers, they've got endurance and faithfulness. You know what that means? It means they're not just gritting their teeth and surviving and getting through the hard things that are happening because it's got all sorts of things happening for them. But they're actually, like, the, the very words mean that they're taking hold of their problems so that they can master them and so that they can come out victorious over their difficulties. Much more than just enduring Persecution, that's that's why they're suffering. You see, he says that your persecution and your hardships or your afflictions, persecutions, that's what they're suffering because they're following Jesus. The reason that they're suffering is that they're following Jesus. All right? And then their hardships, that's just what life is throwing at them. That's just what they're suffering. Not necessarily because they're following Jesus. Yeah, they're growing. Look at this in verse 5 now. And God will use this persecution, you bank it, He will, no matter what it looks like, He will use this persecution to show His justice and make you worthy of His kingdom for which you are suffering. In His justice, He will pay back those who persecute you. Not only will He do that, God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted and also for us when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven. He will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They'll be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. When he comes on that day, he will receive glory from his holy people, praise from all who believe, and this includes you, for you believed what we told you about him. These Thessalonian Jesus followers, friends, they are suffering. It's hard for them. And in the midst of their suffering, maybe they're wondering as well. Just like me. Just like you. You know, when you don't fit in, especially when you don't fit in for following, because you're following Jesus. eh? Just want to make sure I'm not not being taken for a ride here. Maybe they're wondering as well. You're suffering, he says. It's present tense in the Greek language. That means that their suffering is happening. Just listen to this. It means that their suffering is happening even now while he's writing. Okay, that's the present tense. But the present tense in the Greek means even more than that. All right. The way that this is written. In other words, not just that it's happening now, but it's, it's ongoing. To the point where it is inevitable. It's just going to keep happening. That's the way he's writing it about it. Suffering... <laughs> Because we're conditioned by our western society aren't we suffering oh no oh no it's bad we've got to stop it <laughs> Jesus language suffering is part of life you're following Jesus suffering's part of life you're not following Jesus suffering's part of life but God will use it. Now, that's one of the clearest messages of the Bible is that God takes what the enemy means for evil and he uses it for good. He routinely does that. And it's not just like he makes use of it, you know, so something bad is happening, so, well, well, we'll try and, how can we just sort of patch this up? No, it's actually indispensable to his plan. And he uses it when you're suffering, he uses it for your good. He'll make you worthy, he says there. In other words, the day will actually come. You know, for the things that you're suffering for at the moment, my friend, listen to this, where people are wronging you and that's what's causing your suffering, the day will come when he will pay them back for that. He will. And no matter what's, true about coronavirus, if it was deliberate in some laboratory in China, if it is a conspiracy, if our governments are mismanaging it or telling lies or hiding facts, if, 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 lockdowns do take your business down. You see what I mean? Regardless of what's happening in our world at the moment, irrespective of what caused it, or who caused it, or who did what, or who said what, or who should have done what, or who shouldn't have done that, regardless of any of that, you can walk out of here this morning Absolutely resting assured that God takes what the enemy means for evil and turns it for good. He's done it forever and he'll do it forever. God does that and nothing stops him. Nothing. And it looks like maybe Jesus is missing, eh? But God... Paul says here, God's going to provide rest. Now that means, that means relief. It's so that we can come to see our suffering now or our not fitting in now or whatever it is that's making us ask those questions. It's okay. Because God takes what the enemy means for evil and turns it for good. So you know what, no matter what's happening, I can rest gives a level of rest and relief. And you see what? Because it said there, because when the Lord Jesus appears, now see that, usually when the New Testament speaks about Jesus coming again, the second coming, it uses a Greek word which is parousia. Now parousia, that, that means coming. So parousia itself means coming. Here, it's actually a different word. Paul uses the Greek word apocalypse. And that's, you know, that's the word we get in English, we get apocalypse from. Do you know what it means? It means for something to be revealed. In particular, it means for something that is hidden to be uncovered. I just thought, I didn't plan to do an illustration, but look at this. Here's an apocalypse, or here's, here's, a, here's, a, here's an apocalypse. See what I mean? That was hidden. I'll leave that there now. Um, I'll leave the, the, the bread and the juice were hidden. We've just revealed them. That's an apocalypse. In other words, God is apparently hidden from the world now, and what that means is, you know, and based on that, like it's really quite possible for people to deny His existence now because they don't see evidence of Him. But in that day, when Jesus comes back, Paul says, God says, he will be revealed. So what's been hidden until now, no more hiding then. Everyone will see it. And they'll see it fully. Jesus finally and fully revealed. So when the Lord Jesus appears... From heaven, He'll come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. No matter where we get to in this age, my friend, please, please, don't let anyone ever tell you that there's no hell. And don't let anyone ever tell you that we'll all get to heaven one day. Because that's not what God said there. Jesus is not obvious to everyone right now, in fact, he seems hidden. But you can be assured that what is hidden is going to be uncovered. There's going to be no mistaking it or thinking it's something else. You see what God's doing here? He's turning our eyes away from the troubles through which we're passing. He's turning our eyes. He wants to turn your eyes this morning away from coronavirus and away from whatever else. He's turning your eyes away and my eyes away from the end of, end of the doomsday, end of day, end of worlders. He's turning your eyes away from the uncertainty and fear and volatility and divisiveness of our world and away from hardships and masks and QR codes and vaccinations and away from the depression and the destruction and the damage in your mind and your thoughts and away from the trouble to remind us that the power and the person of Jesus and the power of the person and the people and the structures and the circumstances that are assigning to you the pain and the sadness and the hardship that you're feeling they're no match for Jesus not even in the same league let's look in verse 11 now so in view of the fact that you're growing remember so so when he says so um, in view of the fact that you're growing and you're suffering and you're you're wondering if it's worth it and if it's for real and if Jesus is missing and if maybe he's not even going to come back after all and, and And knowing he's at work, that there's a high purpose in what is allowing to come across your plate today. That's why he says, so, because he's just said all of that. We keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Then the name of the Lord Jesus will be honoured because of the way you live and you will be honoured along with him. This is all made possible because of the grace of our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So how are we going to live now while we wait for Jesus now? How are we going to live? Uh, These Thessalonian Jesus followers asking similar sorts of questions. We know they're growing and we know they're suffering and they're probably wondering, is it worth it? You know, what though, when we read these, These words here, something else about them is that they're not there yet. They haven't made it yet. Till Jesus comes back, there's more living to do. So you know the old, are we there yet? Like the way that they might ask on The Simpsons. No, friends, we're not there. We're not there. Do you see what Paul said? We're asking God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. All right? If God doesn't enable you to do that, you can't do it. You won't be able to do it. And we're, we're totally unworthy as people. And when we first meet Jesus, we're totally unworthy. But he does not intend for us to stay that way. And so this this beautiful phrase, Jerry Bridges coined this phrase. He said, you know what? We're supernaturally dependent and personally responsible. In other words, you need Jesus to be like Jesus but you've also got to get off your backside and do what you can to become like Jesus supernaturally dependent personally responsible they'll have to do some doing these Thessalonian Jesus followers they're only going to be able to do it with God's strength and as they're continuing to grow and living lives that reflect him do you see what, he's, what it's actually doing Jesus name is actually honored Okay so glory means honor like it means you know fame reputation so literally what happens is that to the degree that Jeff Shepherd lives a life worthy of the calling with which God's called him do you know what it does it makes God look good that's what it means So the more that you and I live a life that's worthy of the calling with which we've been called, the more we make God look good. So, this morning, while we wait for Jesus, what would you do this week while you're waiting for Jesus? I had a couple of tips for you. Firstly, what about let God grow you? Um, Just let god do his work in you my friend this this is all about posture if you let him do his work he will all right you don't have to manufacture it if you let him do his work he will. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. For, for it is not your strength, but it is God who is effectively at work in you, both to will and to work. That is, He's strengthening, energizing, and creating in you the longing and the ability to fulfill your purpose for His good pleasure. It's God who does that. It's not you. It's not me. It's God who does it if there's renewing going on in your life, it's not your doing, it's God's. But we're supernaturally dependent and personally responsible. We have to allow Him to do it. That's the first thing. Is is that your posture this week? That's what the rest is that He gives you. It's rest. And you see, that that, so much more means cooperating with Him than it does manufacturing. How am I going to grow? How can I do this? Cooperating. Absolutely guaranteed if you let Him grow you, He will. The best way to live while we wait for Jesus, friends, is to Rest and obey. And then secondly, another suggestion, take heart this morning. Take heart, eh? Um, Take heart when you're suffering. And remember that when you're suffering, sometimes you can be suffering for Jesus. And other times you can be suffering in life. They both happen. Take heart when you're suffering and take heart too when it looks like Jesus is missing. When you're wondering if it's worth it. If it's hard going now, like even now here, right here this morning, you need this Word, don't you? Because sometimes we lose heart. Sometimes suffering feels unbearable. Sometimes it seems unending. And oftentimes it appears unfair. And I know for sure, friends, I know for sure that there will be times when I when, when, when I lose heart. And I need you. I need you, my brother, my sister, in the times when I lose heart to have heart for me and to help me to get my heart back. Take heart. Look at this. This is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying and let's be honest, they are. Our spirits are being renewed every day for our present troubles. They're small And they won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. My friend, the best way to live while we wait for Jesus is to rest and to obey. And just a final suggestion, pray for each other and spur each other on. You know why? Because we're not there yet. None of us are there yet. So pray for each other and spur each other on. We're not there yet. So, so let's not assume that we are there yet. Let's not act like we're there yet. Let's not talk while we're there yet. We're praying for each other and we're spurring each other on while we're breathing breath till our dying day. We're spurring each other on to live a life that's worthy of the calling with which we've been called, yeah? Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and of good works and let us not neglect our meeting together, which we're doing right now. And this isn't the only place we do it, but this is one of the ways we do it. Some people neglect that. They say, oh, it's not important. You know, like I, say, oh, I do church, you know, I do church when I'm having a coffee with my friend. And we we have all these ways in our modern world of explaining away what we're doing right now. Trust me, God doesn't explain it away. This is God's idea. This is God's idea that we're doing this right now. Let us not neglect our meeting together, but let's encourage one another, especially now that the day of His return is drawing near. Best way to live while we wait for Jesus is to rest and to obey. You wanna just um, think with me for a second. Like, what what sort of people? What sort of people are we gonna be here? Would we be? And especially now, in two thousand and twenty-one, Melbourne, in the midst of COVID nineteen and all that that means, and all that it has meant for the last eighteen months, you know. And who knows how much longer? It'll go on impacting our lives and invading them. Especially in the midst of that, what sort of people are we going to be? Would we be people who would be characterised? Like, what would people see when they see us? Would it be fear? Would it be anger at the authorities? Would it be rebellion against the authorities? What would people see when they see us? Would they see an anxious presence? Would they see cynicism? You know, I've got a friend, he's a good friend he doesn't know Jesus yet. I've known him for like I've known him for forty years. Like, he knows a lot about Jesus. We've spent a lot of time talking about him, and so have a lot of other people with this guy. But I can tell you that um, his daughter knows Jesus, and. Um, and his daughter has, during the time of coronavirus, become like, and so she's anti-vaccine. Anti We're not, you know, so she's angry and about that. Anti-vaccine, anti-mask. Um, the list goes on. Like, so you know, that, that's the bandwagon that she's, sorry, I, was, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have used the word bandwagon. That's, that's putting her down. That's the track that she's living Do you think, for my friend who doesn't yet know Jesus, do you think the way that he's seeing his daughter respond, his daughter who does know Jesus, do you think that he's doing anything at all to help him to know Jesus? I can tell you it's not. It's doing the opposite. What sort of people are we going to be? Can you imagine us, a community of God's people marching to God's drumbeat? The sort of community, like I'm so proud of us and I know that most, if not all of you are too. So these people who are resting in knowing that the captain is still on the bridge, no matter what's happening in our world, Always has been, always will be. Nothing can thwart His purposes. People who are resting. So they're not uptight. They're not obsessed. They're not militant. They're not civilly disobedient. They're actually just resting in Jesus' goodness. And while they're doing that, they're obeying Him. So they're they're always thinking of these ways to spur each other on to live lives that are worthy of the calling that is given to, to them. best way to live now while we wait for Jesus is to rest and obey. Did you see there uh, in verse 8, Those when we were talking about that, um, and talked about those who, Paul used the phrase, those who obey the good news of Jesus our Lord. Obey the good news of Jesus our Lord. The good news of Jesus our Lord The good news, friends, we're going to celebrate it for a few minutes before we finish our time together today. The good news of Jesus, our Lord, is that Jesus stepped out of heaven willingly and obediently to live here on earth as a man and as God. And in obedience, you know, it says in Philippians chapter 2 in our Bibles that He humbled Himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And the reason He did that is to take you and I and every person who ever breathed breath, and every person who ever will breathe breath. Every person who had this intrinsic problem within the DNA of their being, which nothing could be done about, this problem that we call sin, and the sin nature which just makes it 100% normal and default for us to do things our own way, not to do them God's way, not to live with God in charge, but to live with us in charge. And that manifests in us doing wrong things but it's so much more than just that it's the sin nature that explains our broken down world and it explains pandemics and it explains early death and it explains tragedy and natural natural disasters and it explains violence and crime and it explains everything about the way that our world is mixed up and broken. So Jesus dies on a criminal's cross to actually pay the price for that sin and give you and I the opportunity to live forever. His way, under His Lordship, and also under his protection as his child.